Welcome to Prajna Sparks, a podcast where we listen to a Dharma talk, contemplate with our minds and in our hearts, and engage in guided meditation. In this new moon episode, we complete our four-part series on the four hallmarks of the Buddha's teachings by looking at the last. Nirvana is peace. Please take a moment to like, follow, and review us. Aside from your own practice, this is the best possible offering as it helps us reach new listeners. In this series on the four hallmarks of the Buddha's teachings, we looked at how it is that all composites, all conditioned things, are impermanent. How all that is defiled is dukkha unsatisfying, suffering, unfulfilling. How all phenomena are empty and non-self. We've also been tracing how each of these seals guides us into an understanding of the next when we work with it in our practice. What does it mean to work with it in our practice? It means to listen, contemplate, and meditate on the teachings. This is the Buddha's own contemplative technology, a developmental approach that allows us to take in the teachings from out there somewhere, a teacher, a book, a video, whatever it may be, and meet it on its own terms by developing first a semantic comprehension of what the words mean in this particular context. That is the listening stage, the prajna, or precise knowledge we gain from that, of the semantics of the teachings we take into contemplation, a diverse set of practices that begin to bring that semantic comprehension to a point of clarity. We may discuss it with each other. We may ask questions of a teacher. We may research. We may write songs or sing them, or write poetry, any number of things that actually help us to hone that understanding to a point of intellectual clarity. So now it's not just words, but a significant intellectual understanding of what they mean. There's enough clarity, literally clear knowing, that we cut through superimpositions assumptions and unexamined ideas we had about the topic, that yields the precise knowledge, the prajna coming from contemplation, which we take into a very particular kind of meditation, which combines experiential analysis and resting meditation in what I like to call meditative inquiry, alternating back and forth with the resting meditation, shamatha practice, as the home base and the knowing quality of mind, the vipassana half of the practice, invoking the knowledge that comes right out of our experience about the topic. This can all seem very abstract, very obtuse, and very distant until we try it. When we actually work with these three stages, it makes a lot more sense. And we also realize that it's not as plodding as it sounds, first listening, then contemplating, then meditating. 
It's a very dynamic practice, multidimensional in character. It goes back and forth between the stages as our particular individual needs require, weaving a fabric of understanding that goes beyond superficial words, mere intellectual understanding, and actually knits the knowledge right into our bones so that it becomes an embodied experience. It becomes the way we live. Doing this with the four hallmarks of the Buddhist teachings is one of the best possible things we can do. In fact, you can really build an entire spiritual practice based on this methodology and these four seals. How so? We learn to cultivate the tranquility of mind that is nevertheless alert, called shamatha in Sanskrit, or calm abiding tranquility practice in English translation. Right within that calm abiding, we learn to analyze experientially in our own mind, in our own experience, and tap into the bottomless well of knowing that is inherent to mind, invoking the prajna, the knowledge that precisely understands the way things are with respect to the impermanent character of all conditioned things, the unsatisfying character of everything that is defiled, the emptiness and non-self of all phenomena. As we examine, even in our own mind, how it is that the fluctuations of thought, emotion, attention, even distraction and confusion are impermanent. They're conditioned, composite things that depend on many other things to be sustained and are necessarily always in flux. We see the impermanent character of mind as an example of that impermanent character in all things. When we go not just on a coarse level, but a subtle and even subtle most level, as explained in the episode on impermanence, we start to see that there's discontent present alongside that continual flux. This underlying vulnerability to pain and to discontent, to the constant search for relief from discomfort, which we call pleasure, is dukkha, the tragic state of things when we inhabit life through the misperception that is samsara. That subtlemost level of dukkha, the pervasive suffering of not being able to determine what happens for us, not being able to remove any kind of suffering discontent, lack of fulfillment, just general angst, or invoke complete joy at any moment to decide whether we live or die, are healthy or not, whether we're with those we love or not. That state of being dominated by karma and kleshas, in other words, actions and the intentions unaligned with the nature of things that drive us to act in the first place, helps us to see in our own mind, in our own experience, how all of these things cannot be the self I experience all the time or that I attribute to others. We would never characterize 
this me that we think of as a self that exists truly as being perpetually in flux, unsatisfying, unfulfilling, and out of control. The idea of a self is this mythic quality of something permanent, single, or same in character, and independent, above and beyond conditions, able to imprint our will on the things around us. These first two seals, impermanence and dukkha, help us to see how it is that our condition is not at all one of embodying a truly existent self that lasts, that has a wholeness to it, that is independent of things occurring around it. Rather, our experience is one characterized by non-self and emptiness, not only ours, not only other living beings, but even inanimate objects, lack a self-entity in the sense of a crux, an essence that is permanent, unitary, and autonomous. Those then lead us to the natural question, if all that is conditioned is impermanent, all that is composite is impermanent, does that mean that there's something unconditioned? If everything defiled is dukkha, what happens if things are not defiled? What are those things that aren't defiled? And what does defiled mean anyway? If all phenomena are empty and non-self, what is that experience like? This fourth seal tells us, nirvana is peace. In the Mahamudra tradition of the Karmakagya lineage, which I practice, this peace is a pacification of all conceptual constructs, the dualistic projections we thrust onto experience in order to make them digestible. So if all conditioned things are impermanent, then there must be an unconditioned thing that is permanent. It's a very dualistic way of thinking. You can't say nirvana is the deathless state, the unconditioned state. In fact, the Buddha says this repeatedly in the sutras. From the perspective of nirvana as transcending dualistic perception. The peace comes from transcending impermanent versus permanent. Dukkha, or suffering, versus sukha, or ease. Emptiness and non-self versus truly existent self. From this perspective, nirvana is the transcendence of misery. The misery that comes of constantly roiling our mind, stirring it up with dualistic perceptions, not only on a superficial level, good versus bad, black versus white, man versus woman, etc., but on subtle and subtlemost levels as well. This is a very difficult state to explain for those like me who haven't experienced it. How do you explain a non-dualistic experience that inhabits all there is, without labels, without limitations, without conceptual constructs. Mostly you can't, which is the brilliance of these four seals. It is by examining in our own experience the characteristics of samsara, the misperception of the true nature of things, that we are left with the true nature of things. By seeing down to the subtlemost levels, 
of how it is that all conditioned things are impermanent. We are led to see how there is that subtlemost thread of dukkha, underlying vulnerability, that makes us susceptible to pain, to hope and fear, to believing in a fiction that we never find. If only this, that, or the other thing were aligned just right, we would be happy and never suffer. Each of these is explaining how things are from the perspective of samsaric misperception of the true nature of things, conditioned things, defiled things, phenomena. When we examine samsara, our own misperception, our own life viewed through lenses that cast mistaken ideas onto the way things are, we see through that misperception, first in just little pinpricks here and there. These are called meditative experiences in Tibetan Buddhist practice, brief fleeting glimpses of something that lies beyond the veil of misperception. Slowly, with practice of listening, contemplating, and meditating on the first three of the four seals, we start to part that veil, to disintegrate it, and what is left is the peace of nirvana beyond conceptual elaborations, non-dual wisdom, experiencing and experienced, without projections, without fictions, without dualistic categories, free, powerful, courageous, loving, and wise. Here are some seeds for your contemplation over the coming week. Feel free to ask us any questions via email, Instagram, or Facebook. Links are in the episode notes. As you go about your week, in your formal meditation practice, continue to cultivate tranquility, calm abiding, shamatha, the alert yet still quality of mind that is at ease, yet sharp and brilliant. Then right within that space of still lucidity, look into your mind. Identify in your experience, not by noticing, not by judging, not by labeling, in your experience, how your body is in flux, how your mind is in flux, how thoughts fluctuate. Go further, go deeper. Examine how all of our experiences, be they pleasurable, unpleasurable, or neutral, have this underlying vulnerability, a continuum of pervasive lack of fulfillment, almost like we know there's something more than what we're able to touch into in our lives. Look further still. Would you call that me? Do you think anybody would? Is there an experience that is more infinite, full of potential, 
off the cushion, look for signs of impermanence, discontent, interconnection in all that you encounter. See how you can start to make connections between those experiences in your everyday life, off the cushion, and in that sanctuary you build on the cushion out of that combination of shamatha and vipassana, tranquility and insight. Be sure to join us again on the quarter moon as we continue to discuss nirvana as peace. And stay tuned now for a guided meditation with Lama Zopa. Shivni is our Tibetan singing bowl artist. We can't thank you enough for taking the time to like, follow, share, and review Prajna Sparks. It means a lot to us. If you have any questions, contact us via email, Instagram, or Facebook. Check the episode notes for those links and for more resources on today's topic. Visit us on the web at prajnafire.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Prajna Sparks. Thank you for listening. May all beings benefit. I've heard the cries of suffering from poverty. The richest king, how can this tragic cycle be undone? Well, it goes like this. For noble truths, the Eightfold Path, start with right view, will lead you in the end to liberation, 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 liberation. Truth, a state of mind 
mind that's shatterproof beyond duality and thirst. It's the cessation. Your motivation must be strong. None of the vehicles are wrong. They'll bring you to the point of. Hello friends, and welcome to today's meditation. We are going to be looking at the fourth of the four seals, namely, Nirvana is peace. As we've started to see through this ongoing series on the four seals, that are the hallmarks of the Buddha's teaching, they are so vast and profound, really covering so much in many ways, they address the entirety of the Buddhist path. So the way that we're going to proceed with our practice today is to just take a small, intimate portion of it and connect these teachings with our own immediate experience, just to see how that impacts us. To begin with, let's just take our seats. Allow yourself to come into the present moment with whatever has been going on for you. Just take stock of where your mind is right now, what's going on in your heart, and allow a space of kind curiosity towards those things. Don't judge or push any of it away, nor try to grasp on to any of it or make it last. Just bear witness to what's going on. Give it space to breathe and be here now. We can allow the energy, the movement of thoughts, the flow of feelings to go on without identifying with me or mine. So just come into the present, be easeful, just notice what's going on for you. We can also bring our attention to the earth supporting us holding up the floor or the cushion beneath us. Feel that stability, that support that the earth is always providing to us throughout our lives. And also take a moment to appreciate the space that we are inhabiting in this moment, allowing us to move, to breathe, to be here. Touch in and connect with your experience of being here, present in this moment. Now we will do a little bit of tranquility meditation to hone our attention, to develop that easeful yet alert, one-pointed attention of mind, cultivating presence. We'll use this as a basis for our meditative inquiry in the latter part of this session. For now, just take the breath or any meditation object that feels appropriate to you in this moment. Focus on it one-pointedly, 
using it as an anchor for your awareness so that you can recognize when your attention wavers, when awareness drops off due to distraction or agitation, sleepiness, dullness, anything at all. Use the meditation object to cultivate that sharp, clear, yet relaxed awareness resting within it. So let's practice like that for a couple of minutes. Remaining settled in that space of still, easeful, one-pointed attention. Turn your mind now towards the meditative inquiry. To begin with, just bring to mind whatever insight you've developed through working with the first of the three seals. So we can just bring to mind whatever understanding and direct experience we have of impermanence, the recognition of underlying discontent, which pervades not only our feelings of obvious pain and suffering, but also our experiences of pleasure, as well as those times when we're not very clear, when we're not really paying attention, just coasting through life. And further, also bring to mind how things, people, the world, even ourselves, don't have a lasting final quality of being just what they seem. Take a moment to contemplate again on how things are empty and lack self-nature. In other words, 
start to touch into how things are not real in the way that we take them to be. Bring to mind whatever understanding and experiential insight we have around impermanence, underlying discontent, and how things are not really the way they seem. Whatever these first three seals bring up for us, ask yourself the question, where am I looking for happiness? What do I turn to for peace? Are these things, these people, these relationships, these experiences that I look towards for peace and happiness actually capable of providing what I'm looking for. Investigate closely with kindness and curiosity whether these things that I've grown accustomed to that seem like they are good, pleasant, and so forth actually have the power to provide me with that genuine well-being and happiness that I can sense myself yearning for striving for all the time. Can these things do that? As we allow ourselves to come face to face with that recognition that what we usually invest our ideas of happiness in, people, places, relationships, accomplishments, can't really provide it for us, there is often this sense of disenchantment. Normally we 
do our best not to see it. Normally, we try to turn away from it. But allowing ourselves to sit with that, to be in it, is so powerful. Why? It's so powerful because it allows us to open up to the full import of what nirvana is peace, this fourth seal means. Nirvana is peace. It's that peace, that happiness, that is genuine, that will never change into something that is not happiness and well-being. That most heartfelt yearning that we feel inside of us for getting to that place, getting to that state, however we might think about it, where we are genuinely free of suffering and the possibilities of suffering. So just take a moment again to sit with and feel the resonance in whatever form it takes for you in this moment. Thank you all so much for your practice in working with the fourth seal in this way. One of the possible fruits that comes from working with the four seals in this way is developing some clarity about what is genuinely worthwhile. When we allow ourselves to see that clearly, an immediate heartfelt yearning for it arises. May we be able to achieve this goodness. Please take whatever beneficial energy has come from this meditation and share it freely with all beings, ourselves included, so that we may all accomplish what is genuinely worthwhile. Thank you.